0: Welcome to the Trinity Western University Chapel podcast. It is our prayer that these chapel talks would bless your heart and they would draw you closer to our Lord. We offer them to the glory of God and for the good of the world. Hey, while we're getting here, let's give it up and give gratitude for the musicians. I want to hear it. I want to hear it louder. Let's also give gratitude to the people behind the board. They don't often get enough praise for the work that they do to enable us to do what we do here. Um, and as you are, you know, using your hands, I want to ask you, I want you to ask you to look at your hands. I want you to take a good look at your hands. Now I want you to close your eyes and breathe in on the count of four. Two, three, four. Hold it. Two, three, four. Exhale, two, three, four. One more time four. Hold it. Two, three, four. Exhale. Two, three, four. Now open your eyes and look at your hands. Who do your hands remind you of? Whose hands do you have? Do you see a family members in those hands? Father, a mother, a granny, a grandfather, an auntie, an uncle, a friend, someone you aspire to be. Sometimes I imagine them being webbed and I want to be Spider-Man, but that's another story. (laughs) Hold the thought of those hands in your mind. When I was a wee young'un, my father in the late 60s, early 70s, got caught up in the charismatic revival that was sweeping the United States, but particularly through Ohio. Now, he had married my mother, and my mother was from Italy. Therefore, he had to go through CCD and commit to being a Roman Catholic. And the first few years of our life, we were steeped in Catholicism and catechism. But then he felt the call to go into ministry. And that wasn't necessarily a pathway for him. So through prayer and through a and serendipitous path, wound up at Elam Bible Seminary in upstate New York and then traveled with his family, basically quit his full-time job, packed up three boys who were just a year apart, and along with my mother moved to Southern California and got swept up in the Azusa Street Revival, if any of you know that particular Pentecostal movement. So we caught the sort of hangover of that frame. And he would come into our bedroom every evening And because he was doing his undergraduate studies, starting at the age of 24 with three boys, characters like Kierkegaard, Wittgenstein, what he called the busy bees of of Bultmann and Barth and Bonhoeffer, these were characters that he would tell stories about. He was basically reworking the lectures that he was getting in seminary. He would also be reading Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and Madeleine Ingle and those... We did that. You know, that's how we grew up. And every night, three boys in the same room, he would walk over. We had this sort of a chain that the light was on. And he would grab the chain and then turn around and say, you know what Beekner said? Vocation is that sweet spot of your great joy and the world's great need. Now think on that as you go to sleep turn off the light and it'll be darkness. And he did that every night between probably ages of seven to 13. I still get calls from him. Hey, Scott, you know what the great vocation is? Yeah, pop, it's where my, voca- where my joy and need come together. Have you figured it out yet? I'm still working on it, pop. I'm still working on it, right? And that's a thing. It's we're working on it. Well, today we're asking the same question. What does it mean to be a Mago Dei, wonderfully knitted creations in a world that's increasingly getting more and more mucked up, and we're called to be salt and light. So how do we hold that and hold space for each other while at the same time thinking about where are those moments of joy? So the title, gigantic that came from my daughter when she said, hey, Papa, the movies you make are kinda gigantic. I said, ooh, let me write that down. I'm gonna quote you. It's the best, it's the best review I've ever got. Okay, I wanna see the next slide. There, uh, I, I need to look at my notes because I, I, for some reason Paul Rudd sticks in my mind but it's Rob Rutledge is the researcher from the London School of Economics who actually created the happiness formula. This is a formula for joy. Now you come to my office, I'll break this down. It's really interesting but the crux of this is it's not that your experience matters. What matters is does the expectation of what you're about to experience live up to or live down? So it's the expectation that matters, and expectation affects program. Well, I'm not so interested in formulas and algorithms and equations, but what I am interested in is, let's see what's next here. Moments, movements, of gratitude, of participation, of creativity. Let me unpack those a little bit. All three of them are bound up in this notion that the shortest distance between two people is a story. And if I can learn to enter in and actively listen to your story and you actively listen to my story, we might be able to learn things from each other we might not normally know. So I wanna leave you with three takeaways today that guaranteed will add to your giganticness. And a year from now, two years from now, or five years from now, you're gonna run into me and I'm gonna ask you to buy me a cup of coffee, because that's what I do. And you're gonna go, you know, Scott, call me Scott. I did this and my life was more joyful. So here we go. Gratitude. If you wake up every morning and did that thing with your hands and thought about a person or a place that you want to express gratitude and hold that person or place in your mind, that's gonna open up, uh, uh, let's say, a a harmonic modification in the joy waves of the world. Participation, if you then took that person and took the time to actually write a letter or a postcard, that's gonna mean you're expressing that gratitude and putting it out into the world which adds another layer of joy to you. But the person receiving that, they're also gonna receive that joy. So now you've just amplified your joy. Creativity. And I'm not just talking about artistic expression in terms of music or dance or film or sculpture or painting or design. I'm talking about the everyday reality of opening up our imagination and creativity and using it in interesting ways. So for instance, how many of you have ever ate a fresh tomato from the vine? Let's see those hands. How different is that experience from eating a tomato from the store? This one better? Much better? Let's hear how much better, better. There you go. The best meal that I ever ate was with my wife's family in Granada, Spain, up the hills in the caves, because the homes are built in the caves. In the summer, it's sweltering hot. You can feel the sweat trickle down the back of your neck. And we walked in this cave, sat down, and ordered food. And he just brought out a plate, a tomato, a knife. Whack! Whack! little bit of salt drizzled with olive oil. I swear, it was the best thing I ever ate. The best thing I have ever eaten. So if you haven't eaten a fresh tomato, go and do that, farmer's market. Take it another level. Have you ever tried to grow your own tomato? They have indoor tomato. Grow your own tomato, grow your own herbs and experience that and add that sense of creativity to every meal. One more thing in terms of creativity. How many of you have changed a tire in your car or someone else's car? Hold those hands up. For those of you who haven't changed a tire, get to know the person who has their hand raised and get to know them and ask them, hey, can you teach me how to change a tire? And do it, do it. And it'll take you 45 minutes, maybe. Just take that, you know, that crowbar, take that jack, get those lug nuts, pull that tire off, put the same one back on and tighten it down. If you've never done it and you do that, your confidence in your driving goes up, according to that equation, 947%. Okay, I made that number up. But I tell you, you will feel so much more confident about your driving. And there will be a time in your life, who knows when, when the ability to change your tire is going to come in handy. And you will be the shiro or the hero of that day. And even if not, just the ability to do that exercises a learning opportunity that I highly, highly recommend. So let's see the next one. Now I want to move from this notion of the three things to take away. How many of you know that Jesus actually sings in the Bible? Do you know that? It's right after at the end of the Last Supper scene. After they sung a song, they went to the Mount of Olives. I got the uh, reference, and if you want it, I'll give it to you. Um, The question that I have is, what song did they sing? What song did Jesus sing? And when you read that passage, do you imagine a song being sung? So the next time you read that passage, take one of the songs we even sung today and put it in there. Now, I think it's a fun conversation to have for us to think about and a fun conversation to have with your friends to actually contemplate what song did actually Jesus sang? I'm going to make the argument it's probably a psalm. And there's so many wonderful psalms to think about. But in the context of today's talk, I want to pause it one, so if we can get the next slide. Psalm 27, 14. I've got a few translations. The NIV, wait for the Lord. The CEV version, trust the Lord. The AMP version, wait for and confidently expect. There's the word expect again. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Now, think about the scene. Last Supper, they're at the Mount of Olives that evening. Then the next day, on the ninth hour, on the hill of Golgotha. Eli, Eli, Lama, Sambakthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Whoa. I mean, is that the direct opposite of gigantic? Is there more of an existential cry than we've ever heard? Well, let's think about this notion of waiting. How do we wait confidently? Next slide. So the waiting. Tom Petty wrote, the waiting is the hardest part. The Rolling Stones sang a song, I'm just waiting on a friend. Well, one of the amazing aspects of the tradition that we're all connected with, especially at a place like Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. If you take that word friend and you think of friend as advocate or helper, Holy Ghost, we have friend. And the action of that friend is in this Greek word found over 100 times in the New Testament, alelan, which is defined as mutuality, reciprocity. And if we unpack that, I'm not going to read all these passages, but... I'll send you the slides and you can look them up on the next slide. I like this one. Teach one another from Colossians. Build up one another from Romans. Stir up, provoke one another with good works from Hebrews. So hold those. How do we learn to expectantly wait and be confident? We do that with the help of a friend, Holy Spirit, and with the support of each other in terms of leaning towards what are we becoming. So, in this next slide, I had the uh, honor and privilege, along with my wife Angelica, to work with a group of teachers and artists and students and cultural activists in South Africa to make a film called Mazazaki. Can we see the next slide? And that, I'll just let it play. What is- Against the nation's instigation interrogation against the mass. Souls of mindless find the first and timeless and are spun to the matrix of composing creations for liberation. Free to think, to live, to see, to be, to soar, to fly into new days. Following freedom into fresh thoughts that touch hearts and hold them in the challenge of remembering yesterday. So look who today with designs on tomorrow. Set your children free. Teach them that their souls oh. matter, as does their earth. Help them to speak in free verse. <laughs> the wind glow like the moon, shine like the sun, knowing that in freedom we have won, we have won, we are one. So I've been doing work in the Eastern Cape of South Africa since the early 2000s. And we're mostly doing work in township schools, doing spoken word and hip-hop workshops. And that was my good friend Kip Shoki Kirkland. And out of this, the notion of this film grew. And Mazazaki was a word and a title for the film from our friend Tabang Quinch. And Mazazaki is a Kosa word, which means to build each other through a cultural exchange of art. Think about that. That's a whole sentence. They have one word. We need a whole sentence to say what can be said in one word. So we've got some catch-up to do, I think, in terms of language and linguistics acquisition. Um, Can I see the next slide? And I'll be remiss if I didn't mention that within the School of Art, Media, and Culture, those are the type of films I make, and those are the type of classes that I teach, and we actually create and build and develop, whether that's films or interactive designs, um, but it's really taking that heart and art of creativity to move beyond just transmitting to creating transformational experiences, right? Through a capacity building and what I call community centric storytelling. So I want to leave you because I mentioned my father and my mother, my children, my grandmother. She has a phrase, quien no ateste a gambe? If you don't use your head, you have to learn to use your feet. She would also say, "Cortisone." how do we learn to use our hearts? And that's the heart of being gigantic, is being open to that heartfelt communion. She also would say, don't be a davani skiza, which basically means don't be a sofa squasha. Get up, go do something. So what I would like to do is now ask us to bow our heads. Lord, to live before your face is truly to live liberation. And living in your presence isn't a benefit or a privilege. It's actually a commitment and a service. And we pray for bold love, deep care, rich community, and for that gentle, winsome witness and a readiness to give reason for the hope within us. In Jesus' name, amen. And with that, let's give each other a hand and go forth and uh, let's try to be a little bit more gigantic. I think we need 2023 2023 to add a little bit more joy to our lives because it's, you know, we got some work to do. Thank you.